0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. John chapter eleven, and we read together from verse fifty-five. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple area, they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? But the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, Many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him.
1: Fred, thank you very much indeed. And uh, let me add my welcome to that of Andy's earlier in the service. It's very, very good to see you. Uh, Do keep your Bibles open as we continue to go through John chapter 11 and 12. We started back in September and uh, we're going on for the next few weeks through chapter 12 uh, as well. And uh, with the Bible open, let me pray for us right now. Heavenly Father, we've already sung to you. Take this world and give me Jesus. Take this world, my God's enough. They're bold, bold words. And uh, we pray, though, that in our very best moments, this would be absolutely true, that you would be enough for us, that um, the world and all that it offers would sort of fade into nothing compared to all that you've given to us. And we ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. Why would an international cricketer give up his sporting t- career to go and work in China as a missionary? That's what C.T. Studd did at the end of the 19th century. Why would a British entrepreneur and owner of a multi-million pound business pay himself only a modest wage and give away 40% of his shareholding to set up a charitable foundation? That's what the, uh, the builder, John Lang, did in the mid-20th century. Why would a billionaire businessman pledge to give away his fortune to support Christian missions throughout the world? That's what CEO David Green pledged to do 10 years ago. Why would anybody do such a thing? Well, of course, you know the answer I'm going to give you this evening. It's because of the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So perhaps here's a better question. Is that kind of commitment to Jesus, that kind of commitment that is willing to do anything and go anywhere for Jesus, is that kind of thing the sort of thing we should expect only from really keen Christians? Or should everyone here, everyone who calls themselves a Christian, be ready and willing and eager to make significant sacrifice for Jesus? Well, look as we turn to John chapter 12 this evening, we see in one of Jesus' disciples what happens when we are really thankful for the death of Jesus, a death that brings us resurrection life. And uh, the first point, sorry, we didn't have, uh, have the photocopier uh, working earlier in the week, so you can't have uh, handouts, but uh, they're gonna come up on here and you can scribble away if you like. The first point, a fascinating dinner party with death in the air. Chapter 12 begins with John telling us that it was six days before the Passover, verse one. Six days before the biggest and most significant festival in the Jewish calendar. Think Christmas for us Brits and then add some. Well, adds quite a bit really. The Passover was more than a national public holiday, more than a celebration, more than a few days off work. The Passover pointed to the very heart of the Jewish religion and the centre of what it meant to be Jewish. And with all the excitement of that festival brewing, Jesus turned up, in a little town called Bethany. Bethany was just two miles out of the capital city, Jerusalem, and Jesus arrived there quite unexpectedly. He'd been out of circulation for a while. He'd kept himself out of sight because there was a price on his head. If you look back to a verse we looked at last week, chapter 11, verse 53, you'll see the religious establishment were plotting to take Jesus' life. And so, verse 54, he withdrew to a remote desert region. But then he turned up in Bethany. And if you've been with us since the beginning of this series, you'll know that Bethany was the home of the, of three siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Mary and Martha were the sisters who'd contacted Jesus when their brother Lazarus was sick they previously got words to Jesus, hoping that he would heal Lazarus. But by the time Jesus turned up in Bethany, Lazarus had died and he'd been buried for four days. But then, miracle of miracles, Jesus went to Lazarus' tomb and chapter 11, verse 43, he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And verse 44, the dead man came out. We've considered those five words again and again in these last weeks because they are so utterly astonishing. The dead man came out. Can you believe it? A dead man walked out of his grave. Well, that's what happened, and there was a crowd there who saw it with their very own eyes. And so now, here is Jesus back in the town of Bethany and back in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And is it any wonder that verse 2 of chapter 12 the family laid on a dinner party in honour of Jesus. So verse two, there was Martha serving the food, Lazarus reclining at the table along with Jesus and other guests. And it's not hard to imagine the topic of conversation as they tucked into their check-in and asparagus pie. The other guests were asking Lazarus what it was like to be dead and asking Jesus how he brought Lazarus back from the dead and asking Lazarus what it felt like to be alive again. And then just before the jam roly-poly came out, verse three, it doesn't say that in verse three, by the way, I'm just assuming that's what happened. Verse three, Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. It was the most surprising act. At the end of verse five, we discover that the perfume was worth about a year's wages. Now look, even on a living wage at £9 an hour, that amounts to about eighteen grand, £18,000. Here's Mary then with a bottle of perfume, Nard, which is nothing like lard, by the way. A bottle of perfume probably bought at the Duty Free after a trip to India. A most expensive perfume, m- worth more than your decent second-hand family car. And in one fell swoop, she paused a lot over Jesus' feet. And in no time at all, 18,000 quid, almost literally down the drain. And never mind the money. Look at the manner in which it was done, verse three. Mary untied her hair. She literally let her hair down and wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. That was a very provocative act. Apparently for a woman to act like that in, in public was a gesture that would have been considered most unseemly. So while the topic of conversation had been, Jesus, how did you raise Lazarus from the dead? It quickly turned from Jesus, how did you do it, to Mary, why did you do it? Mary, what do you think you're doing? Why have you just wasted a small fortune like that? That's the big question. And Judas asked it. End of verse four, he objected. And verse five, he said, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Well, it's a good question, isn't it? A fair question. Had you been there, you might well have asked that question yourself. Mary, what do you think you're doing wasting 18,000 pounds worth of perfume on Jesus' feet? Think of the starving millions. Consider all the poverty that could have been alleviated with that kind of dosh. And while all that was happening in the house, there was a crowd gathering outside. Verse nine, people began to get wind that Jesus was in town. And not just that Jesus had arrived, but that he was having dinner with Lazarus. Now, they really did make quite a double act, the miracle worker with his miracle man. No wonder the crowd gathered. They wanted to see the man who'd who'd been brought back from the dead and they wanted to see the man who brought him back. But while that death-defying miracle of resurrection was proving to be very popular among the masses, it was anything but popular with the religious authorities. Verse 10 the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. As well, that is, as well as Jesus. As we've just seen in chapter 11, verse 53, the religious bigwigs were plotting, plotting to kill Jesus. Now they wanted Lazarus dead as well. If it wasn't so serious, it'd be hilarious. One minute, Lazarus is dead. Next, he's raised from the dead and feeling as fit as a fiddle. No sooner has he got used to living again than someone wants him dead again. The poor fellow doesn't know whether he's coming or going. But of course, it's no laughing matter. Here are the religious establishment trying to kill an innocent man because, verse 11, on account of Lazarus, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. Lazarus was undeniable proof that Jesus really is the resurrection and the life, as he claimed he was. And the religious leaders couldn't stand it. And he said, Look, These verses are sizzling with intrigue. The details are Fascinating. But they are here to show us one big thing. One big thing. And that's the responses to Jesus' death and his promise of resurrection life. See, let me show you from these verses that all this is about the death of Jesus. Look, there are three Ps that tell us that. Three Ps in the passage. First, the Passover, verse 1. We've already thought about it. The Passover was the time of the year when the entire Jewish nation would stop and remember how God brought their ancestors out of slavery in Egypt to the promised land. And at the heart of the Passover was was the death of a lamb. If you don't know this story, some of you will remember it, some of you might not. It's way back in the book of Exodus, the second book in the Bible. Israel was enslaved to Egypt and a lamb was slaughtered and its blood smeared on the doorposts of every Jewish household So that when the angel of death passed over Egypt, it it would pass over the family home and not kill the firstborn in each home. The lamb died in the place of the firstborn child. A death gave life. The death of the lamb then, of a lamb, was at the heart of the Passover. And why is that so significant in John's gospel? Because back in chapter one of John's gospel, John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and announced, behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now here we are in verse one, just days away from the Passover, and here is Jesus just a few miles away from Jerusalem and the temple where all the Passover festival is gonna happen. Here is the Lamb of God who is gonna be slain to take away the sin, not just of the Jewish people, but of the whole world. The Passover points to Jesus' death. Secondly, the perfume points to Jesus' death. Verse seven. See, as Mary poured out her perfume all over Jesus' feet and Judas objected that it was a waste of money, see how Jesus defends Mary's actions. Verse seven. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. See what Jesus says, Mary was doing something that pointed to Jesus' death. Whether she realized it or not, this act of Mary's was an announcement of the death of Christ. The Passover, the perfume, both point to the death of Jesus. And thirdly, the priests. We've just seen this in verses 10 and 11. They were trying to do away with Jesus. Death was in the air. You see, these verses are all about the death of Jesus And the death of Jesus is so significant because it is through Jesus' death that he can bring us resurrection life. That, of course, is why this dinner party was happening. Jesus was there and Lazarus was there and Lazarus was a walking, talking, visual aid of the truth that Jesus is the resurrection and the life just as he said he was. But here's the key thing to, to link, and this is really crucial to get, here's the key thing to link death And resurrection together it is the death of jesus that enables resurrection life for sinful people just look back with me to chapter 11 and verse 25 we've already seen this if you've been here Uh, this is the key verse to the whole section chapter 11 verse 25 jesus said i'm the resurrection and i'm the life Now in saying those words, Jesus is claiming to be the one who will raise everyone on the final day. I am the resurrection. There will come a day when everyone who has ever lived will be raised from their grave and Jesus says, I'll do that. The question is, will we be raised to eternal life or will we be raised and sent to everlasting contempt and separation from God? Everyone's going to be raised but which way will you go? In these last weeks, we've seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the grave. He clearly has the power to raise the dead. But he's not just the resurrection. He doesn't just say, I am the resurrection, but I am the resurrection and the life. I can raise you not only to raise people, but to eternal life and not to have to be condemned. And this is crucial because otherwise we could think Jesus can just raise people with a click of his fingers. No, Jesus had to die to give sinful people life. He is the Passover lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And without his substitutionary sacrifice, we could not be forgiven and raised to everlasting life, do you see? So yes, this dinner party was celebrating life, the life of Lazarus, raised from the dead. But at the heart of the dinner party is the theme of death. Because it is only through death, through Jesus' death, that we can have this life that he offers. And when we understand that, there is only one appropriate response, which brings us to our second point of only two points this evening, the response to Jesus' death. And the first we see is Mary's response in verse three. See, we've already seen it. Here is Mary with unreserved uninhibited, wholehearted, extravagant gratitude to Jesus. And we've already seen Jesus commends her for it. When Judas objected and questioned why Mary didn't use the money for the poor, Jesus said, verse seven, leave her alone. She's done exactly the right thing. Please see what a surprise those words are. We might expect Jesus to have preferred the money to be given to the poor, no, Jesus is clear that Mary's extravagant act is, is, the, is the right response to his death. In 1997, a man called Tony Bullimore, you might remember the name, some of you are old enough, around the world yachtsman, capsized in the uh, Southern Ocean. He was stranded 900 miles from Antarctica and 1,400 miles from the Australian coast on his own Having capsized in one of the world's most treacherous seas, he was completely helpless to rescue himself. So he sent a mayday message, and then he spent four days entombed in the upturned hull of his yacht trying to survive the icy seas. He cowered in pitch darkness in a makeshift, makeshift hammock. Remarkably, he survived, and, and then he heard a welcome knock of a diver banging on the side of his yacht. The Australian Navy had picked up the mayday and the frigate HMAS Adelaide had sailed full steam ahead for four days to reach Mr. Bullimore. There was no way that he could have rescued himself. On his own, he was a dead man. After his rescue, Tony Bullimore said, if I was picking words to describe my rescue, it would be a miracle, an absolute miracle. Apparently, asking for a, after asking for a cup of tea, He told the chief petty officer, if you didn't have a beard, I'd kiss you. Well, I bet he would. He'd just been saved. Now, Tully Bullimore died last year, 21 years after his miraculous rescue. And if we'd asked him two years ago about the last two decades of life, what do you think he'd have said? I presume he'd have said something like this. I've only enjoyed these last 20 years because of the Australian Navy. I am so thankful to them. I owe them my life. Well, Jesus rescues us for more than a couple of decades. Jesus rescues us for eternity, never to die again. And here's the thing. His rescue wasn't just full steam ahead for four days. His rescue cost him his life. So here is Mary expressing her unreserved, uninhibited, wholehearted, extravagant gratitude to Jesus. And as far as Jesus is concerned, it's an entirely appropriate response. After all, what price eternal life? What price? And when we see it like that, we can begin to see that Mary's response is not just the sort of response we should expect from a a few super keen Christians. This is the type of response that every Christian should have. Jesus died for me that I might have life, eternal life. Well, then nothing, nothing would be too much for me to to do for him, to give to him, to live for him. Now, let me ask you, have you ever felt that way about Jesus' death, overflowing with gratitude, ready to go anywhere and do anything for Jesus, prepared to give everything for him, Look, I know we're sinful human beings who are easily distracted. I know that we're so often half-hearted. But honestly, if we've never had a sense of that readiness to give everything for Jesus, then it probably means we've never understood the death of Jesus. Now, two things to note about Mary's response. First, it's a financial response. You see, it is interesting. The cost of this perfume is spelled out for us. Verse 5, 18,000 pounds. And it's spelled out for us so that we know that Mary was prepared to give away a year's wages out of pure thankfulness to Jesus, that's it. Now look, for sure, there are all sorts of ways we can show our thankfulness to Jesus beyond financial giving. But I've been wondering this week, why is this shown to us here in financial terms? Well, I wonder if it might be because so often it is money that we love and don't want to part with because money gives us so much. It makes us feel secure and it bides us comfort and it opens the door to pleasure. And because money is so important to us, it's often our attitude to money that reveals our heart. But as someone once said, when a person is turned upside down, the money falls out of their pockets. When you've been turned upside down by Jesus, you want to give. So I think of a guy who gave up a career where he could earn hundreds of thousands of pounds a year in order to serve a, 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 as a missionary abroad in a situation where the conditions were very primitive. I think of a woman who inherited a significant amount of money and gave it away a to fund a gospel worker. I think of the pensioner who had very little financially, but she gave half her regular income to support her local church. I think of a man who refused to work on Sundays, even though it had significant financial implications and was a risk to his career. Ask these people why they made that, so those kind of financial sacrifices, why they gave up so much, and they would tell you, because Jesus died for me, and his death has guaranteed me eternal life. That's what we were singing, wasn't it? Take this world and give me Jesus. This is a financial response. And secondly, this is an uninhibited response. See, wiping Jesus' feet with her hair was far from conventional. It was socially unacceptable. But Mary was so overwhelmed by Jesus' death that she she doesn't care what people think. It's an uninhibited response. That is a great place to be where I don't care what people say about my commitment to Jesus Christ because Jesus is everything to me. You can mock me. I don't care. That's a great place to be because needing the approval and acceptance of others enslaves us and it inhibits us. Mary's a great example, focused on loving Jesus because he has done so much for her that she really doesn't care about the responses from those around her. You might think it's unseemly. I don't care. I love Jesus. And that is very important as we begin to draw to a close because we see here that people won't approve of total commitment to Jesus. See, we see that very clearly. Secondly, in Judas's response, which is first a disapproving response. End of verse four, he objected by saying, verse five, as we've already seen, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? I know a number of people who've made considerable sacrifices for Jesus and those around them have responded Very similarly to this. Let me tell you about one bloke and one girl. The bloke worked in the city, earned mega bucks. I mean, huge money. Eye watering sums of money. He gave up his career to be ordained in the Church of England, ended up working in a little parish that no one's ever heard of St. Martin's in the Bulrushes in a big backwater in Herefordshire. There is no St. Martin's in the Bulrushes. Don't go looking for it later. You get the point. A nowhere place. The girl was a medic, quite brilliant in her field, but she was also brilliant at youth work. And she decided to say goodnight to any chance of reaching the top of her field in medicine, to be a youth worker. She worked one day a week in medicine to fund her youth work job for five days a week. The bloke gave up the chance to earn millions of pounds. Yes, it would have been millions. The girl gave up an an admired career and the chance to earn hundreds of thousands of pounds over a lifetime. And with it, she gave up a very comfortable lifestyle and a respected position in society. And people said to the bloke, you're nuts. Why on earth would you do that? And people asked the girl, what about your career? And then they said, what a waste. And people would say similar things if they discovered that we gave away significant proportions of our salary to support gospel ministry. You can hear them saying, look, I'm all forgiving." I'm all for giving money away, but why give it to the church when there are starving millions? You could give it to support housing projects or something to bring safe, clean water and sanitation to the most un- underprivileged in other parts of the world. Do you see, that's what Judas is saying. Why, why do you waste your money on Jesus? What about the starving millions? Because the answer is, what price eternal life? It's not to say there's no place for philanthropic work, but but no matter how much poverty we alleviate, people will still have to face Jesus as their judge one day. Eternity is a greater issue. That's why we give money to that kind of work. People won't understand why we give ourselves so wholeheartedly to Jesus. Mary got a disapproving response from Judas, but his disapproving response was secondly a selfish response. Look at verse 6. See, he complained about the money being given away. He could have been given to help the poor. And then verse six, he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. This is very interesting. On the surface, Judah's response sounded reasonable, sounded good. But look at his heart. He wasn't really concerned about the starving millions. On the surface, Judas' argument sounds uh, uh, all well and good, but John gives us a glimpse into his heart. He wasn't bothered about the poor at all. He was a thief. He had his hand in the till. And all he was worried about was the frustration that he couldn't get his hands on a sizable cut of 18 grand. But when we hear words of disapproval, the words we hear don't always express the real reason behind the objections. The guy who gave up that job in the city to work in a little church in the back of beyond and that girl who gave up a promising medical career to fund her youth work job, both of them got a lot of grief from their parents, telling them their education had been a waste, that they would regret it. The guy said, my parents loved telling their friends how successful I was in the city job. It was one of the big points in their Christmas letter every year. When I gave up my city job... It's as if I took all that away from them. Being a vicar was an embarrassment to them. The girl said something similar. What's so striking about the girl is that her parents were Christians. Wholehearted, unreserved, uninhibited, extravagant gratitude to Jesus will not be universally applauded even from those who hang around Jesus like Judas. But it is the right response. And it is the only appropriate response to Jesus, the one who was prepared to die so that we might have resurrection life. Let's pray together. Well, let me leave a moment of silence to, for you to make your own response to the Lord. It might be that there's one thing that he's particularly challenged you on to make you think, I, I, need, to, I need to give of myself there. It might be money, it might be something else. It might be you just want to ask him to, to make you more willing to give more of yourself. It might be in the silence you want to say thank you for Jesus' death. And it might be that some of you are going, you know, I've never really thought of Jesus' death like that. I need to look into this more. Let me just leave a moment of silence. And then after a little while, the band will play. And then we'll sing. And there'll be an opportunity to give money to this church. But please don't feel under any obligation to do so. A moment of silence right now.